Petersfield's Shine Radio. This is Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Susie Wilde. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books. And how lovely to be our 39th edition with our live guest, Katie Marsh, friend of the show. Fantastic. So you've been you've been you've been looking after puppies in the meantime, is that <laughs> right, Susie? As I think everybody, I've even done a special edition on Shine Radio about puppy training. So I'm right. completely puppy brained. So when it all goes sideways today, Tim, that'll be what it but is. But you are an expert. Oh, I am indeed an expert. It's our eighth puppy, so I should be, shouldn't I? So I've hardly been reading anything because I'm sort of on it the whole time. Um, so let's hand over to you. What have you been reading recently? Well, I've been reading, of course, our, our guest book, um, Katie's book, How Not to Murder Your Ex. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, the Island of Missing Trees by Elif Shafak, which I think is it's a really interesting book. I don't know if you've read any. Have you read any Elif Shafak? No, I keep meaning um, to. So she... It's it's part in part narrated by a fig tree, which is which is pretty pretty interesting. I've never read a book uh, narrated by a fig tree before, um, but it's also in three time periods. Um, on one level, it's a straightforward kind of Romeo and Juliet sort of love across the cultural divide story in set in Cyprus between uh, a Greek man and a, a Turkish woman, and um, another book. It, it's another level. It's, it's about dealing with grief. It's also a lot about Cyprus, but at its heart, I think it's a book about um, the competing claims of science versus religion, mysticism, tradition, the unknown, the partly known. So it, it has actually got quite a lot going on in there. So, so the fig tree is like the wall in Pyramus and Thisbe. I suppose so. You could argue. Yeah, I mean the the the, the tree um, the, the the tree starts off in Cyprus, and he takes a cutting from it to to oh. the UK. And then oh, interesting. It, so the tree remembers its days in in oh. in the heat, um, and he interesting enough he he uh, in order for a fig tree to survive the winter, you have to uproot it, wrap it in 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 uh, sacking, uh, and bury it underground so it doesn't freeze. Bury the whole thing. Bury the whole thing underground. Wow. And then you and then you dig it out again in the in the spring and replant it and uh, survive. Who knew? So there you go. That's about fig trees. So that's the island of missing trees by Elif Shafak, and I think there's a lot. Um, there's a lot going on there, and um, I would recommend it. Uh, definitely recommend that one. I've been I've been flicking through a couple of other books. Um, George Harrison's uh, The Reluctant Beetle by Philip Oh, I'd love Philip to read Norman, that. Um, which is really interesting. I mean, if you're a big Beatles mm-hmm. fan, and uh, um, uh, I hadn't really understood that, uh, a lot about George and how he was quite different from the from the other uh, main Beatles. Um, the main Beatles. Well, you know, the ones that wrote most of the songs, I suppose. <laughs> John and Paul, who wrote most of the songs, um, and George, who who didn't, you know, they were a bit they were a bit sniffy about his his songwriting who abilities. Who wrote the best Beatles song well, ever? There you go. Apparently, uh, uh, so they were a bit sniffy about his songwriting abilities, and in fact, he turned out to be actually rather good at it. Um, but that's another story. Um, other book is the Perfect Golden Circle by Benjamin Myers. Uh, I don't know if you've come oh, across this. Benjamin Myers, we've just heard about from Sally because it was the book, your book club choice here. That's the book I'm talking about, yes. So it was a, it's a book set in 1985 in the really hot summer, 85, 89, I can't remember, one of, one of those years. Uh, and it's, it's about Englishness, 
uh, and again, it's I suppose it's about this contrast between the, the sort of mythical, mystical world and and the real world. And it, it's uh, really well done. It's quite episodic, and um, yeah, definitely, definitely recommend that one. Do you have to read his books in order, or can you just dive no, in? I've seen one of his. I've read. Uh, okay. I thought it was really good. I, I, I'd like to read more. So that's mainly my reading. What what about you, Susie? What have you been up? Well, with? obviously, like you, Katie's book, which we're going to talk about in full, and I'm just loving. I'm not. I'm seriously. I'm not just saying that. Um, but also, Murder on the Dance Floor. So I noted um, it's by. I think I mentioned I had bought it. It's by Shirley Ballas. So and all women of my age look forward to the autumn because it is the strictly I'm not looking at you Katie because you're my age clearly (laughs) but um actually I can say that it spreads the generations then um but strictly time is a time of red wine and crisps on a Saturday night and just feeling comforted and lovely and I'm happy to say that murder on the dance floor is both consciously and I suspect unconsciously funny um there are places in it where you can see that it's deliberate one of the things i love about it and her is that she fully credits what we would normally call a ghostwriter um it's um a woman called sheila mcclure who has written both romantic fiction and cozy crime and i have to say yeah it's okay the writing's okay but some of it is things like the Argentinians passed her as they performed their Botafogo. And I know that that's going to be deliberately funny and it's like an in-joke, really. But there's others where it's um, getting really tense. No spoilers, but it's really tense. It's coming to the climax of finding out who the killer might be because he's kidnapped someone. And he takes them up the Blackpool um, tower of course of course it's the Blackpool Tower passing the mini golf as they go and somehow that pathetic thing just made me bark with laughter because it just isn't particularly funny but the thing <laughs> oh do come in at any point Tim no, it's right. oh, right, I'm right. not I'm not an expert on on um Strictly I'm afraid I'm not I have I have watched it but oh, it's not my it's not my not cup, your of tea. cup of tea no um it's a lot of men aren't that keen they're keen on catcher aren't they but you know but what I noted about both Katie's book and Murder on the Dance Floor on Amazon because I always you know copy chunks of what they're saying is in both cases this is Murder on the Dance Floor the sequin mysteries book one so it seems to me that people are quite keen on series and i noticed um that katie's book is the bad girls detective agency book one so we'll talk more about why that might be later but anyway it says amazon says about murder on the dance floor the secret mysteries book one the gripping and sexy debut cozy crime novel for 2023 from the star of strictly come dancing and i heard her interviewed by jane garvey and fee glover for a long time they were at the cheltenham book festival and it was such fun and the sex scenes are pretty full-on involving bondage and all sorts and spilling the beans about how much um facelifting and um botox and things like that goes on and slimming pills and and you know it really there are no holds barred so i think it's fascinating for many reasons okay sounds good might read it 
After you. Why yeah. not? Right, well, we're delighted to have Katie Marsh as advertised here with us today. And um, she's going to talk about a bit about her book, How Not to Murder Your Ex. It's not actually her first book. She's written um, six books, I gather. And although this is her first foray into into the crime world, and we might ask you, I might ask you about that in a second, Katie. But uh, first of all, tell us a bit about the book. The book is about Cleo, who has told everyone in her small seaside town that she wants to murder her ex, Gary, only for him to turn up dead on her doorstep at uh, 5.30am on her 45th birthday. Um, uh, There's only really one suspect, which is her. So the book um, follows her and her two best friends, Jeannie and Amber, as they try to find the actual killer, thus proving that it's not Cleo. Um, It's kind of a caper-filled, joke-filled celebration of female friendship with dead bodies. And what fascinated (laughs) me about it is that you have the friends as point of view and and protagonists actually i mean they're, yeah. they're not i don't want to call them sidekicks of the main suspect because they, there's equal waiting yes. um but also the murder victim now why how does that work for you well it struck me as a really fun way to both demonstrate quite how awful gary is he's an amalgamation <laughs> and he, he is awful and he really is a calling <laughs> human being but he was so much fun to write that's obviously the main reason he was in there was because it was just a joy he's so awful there's so, so many terrible things what's your inspiration for gary that's the next question oh, maybe, right. that, maybe <laughs> i can't ask that question no. okay maybe not sorry don't, don't go there no it's an amalgamation of many exes i've heard about over the years let's right. give you that politic mm. okay. answer mm. Um, but I thought it'd be really fun to have him in it so I have a countdown to his death on the day of his death um, both to put lots of red herrings and uh, shady characters in that then the reader can suspect but also just yeah because it's a joy and you learn quite how terrible he is Mm. um, and quite how many people might want to kill him which it turns out is it's a fairly long list of of possible suspects but because it's also from his you get his sort of point Mm. of view you also get his kind of self-justification mm. for yes. for why he acts how he acts mm. and the idea that he's actually really put upon this poor chap is <laughs> by is. these by these people who are out here who just you know, don't understand board. him don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't get him don't get what he's trying to achieve what he has amazing things he has achieved which of course yes. he hasn't but so it, it's this wonderful uh, idea of self-delusion which you, you have at the sort of heart but of I love that it turns on its head this thing about the criticism of Agatha Christian people that the actual dead person mm. is just like the chalk drawing on the floor and they don't have life and modern novels tend to make them lovable and wonderful people and i think that (laughs) i love that you really love to hate gary yeah there's a real joy to hate gary katie i laughed out loud and um and i'd love it if you could read just the the start for us because i read this out to richard um just to demonstrate how great it is but it also sets the scene i think it's great for the listeners to actually you know get your style of writing which i love okay chapter one cleo on the many occasions cleo had imagined murdering her husband it had never been anything like this her mind's eye had always turned away from what came next avoiding the gore that would accompany the click of a trigger or the scream that might follow his flailing body after it was pushed from a cliff 
She'd never been serious anyway. Everyone knew that. It was just Cleo saying her piece, moaning about Gary the way she always did. People thought it was funny. Last week, her darts team had even stuck his picture over the bullseye for their Friday night match. Cleo's ensuing scores had led to the raging bullseye's first victory over the dart Vaders for well over a year. It was amazing what a little motivation could do. But Cleo hadn't seriously wanted to kill him. She had simply craved justice. Her house back, the company they had founded together to be half hers again. Every penny he had taken repaid in full. But not this. Not even Gary deserved this ending. She forced herself to look down at him, so still in the wind that raged around the cliff-top static caravan that Cleo had been forced to call home. As her PVC windows rattled, there he lay, his face turned to one side, his arms outstretched across her bottom step. In the dim glow of the security light above her flimsy front door, she could see the salt and pepper hair, the thick neck emerging from his checked shirt, the broad shoulders beneath the leather jacket he misguidedly believed made him look like a Top Gun recruit. <laughs> His blood pooled thickly around him, a macabre halo, staining the brown step red. Cleo knew what she had to do. When she'd been a jobbing actress in her early 20s, she had played a runner, discovering a body in an episode of Casualty, and she repeated the motions she had gone through on camera, forcing her unwilling limbs to move. She knelt, ignoring the loud clicking of her knee, stretching out freezing fingers, pushing his gold chain aside to place them on his neck. Hope rose, despite all the evidence in front of her. Gary? She found the spot where his pulse should be. She felt nothing. No rhythm, no life. He was gone. So, honestly, and that's even better than I've read more, because <laughs> I can see how many clues and so on. Well, not clues, but, you know, texture you've put mm. into that that becomes important later um and it's in fact the texture of ordinary domestic detail mm. that i've noted from your previous books um that's still very apparent here particularly the texture of female lives one of the characters Jeannie, is a mother of twins she is. and it honestly i just relate i mean i haven't had children but i completely have observed how chaos well, catastrophic, actually. I was saying chaotic, but it's sort of a catastrophe for the marriage. Well, yeah, because your focus isn't on each other anymore. And Jeannie, the character concerned, has had IVF for years as well. So she's really tried to have children. Her and her partner have pushed it and pushed it and tried to have children. They get the children and suddenly their entire lives are transformed into a world of washing, feeding, never sleeping... You know, Jeannie mm. hasn't really slept for a whole year. I mean, that's a form of torture. Mm. So mm. Um, she's definitely a lot of readers are coming back to me saying, we love Jeannie, we, we are Jeannie, we've all yeah. got a bit of Jeannie in us. And it's also um, that, that, that collapse in self-confidence that she has when, when that, that comes about through that process. Yes. And the, the fact that, that uh, you know, what happens throughout, through the book is she gradually picks that back up again. Because <laughs> she realised she actually is quite competent and she can do stuff. Uh, and she did have this, she was this amazing person, she can be that amazing person again. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's that's a nice journey that, that she goes on. Um, Amber goes on a journey as well, and Cleo goes on. They all, they're all, they're all travelling, and they're all, um, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's that, 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 the plot development helps them to, to become the, the people that we know they're going to be get to by the end. Um, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, actually, which, was, which is that um, in a crime novel, obviously you go from, you, know, you go from the murder 
to its solution and that's that the journey that you take mm-hmm. yeah. um and um what you've done is take you've taken all the characters on the journey and they uh, and they grow in, mm. in differently throughout throughout the story which, which is great but in a in your previous writing you've written i mean there is kind of i suppose you said there is a romance probably at the core of of what's going on and that's the it's a more a will they won't they is, is the is the dramatic tension that goes throughout the narrative and i'm wondering how different it is to write those two two different ways of writing it's really different i actually have to say i've come out of it um thinking that actually crime is by far the more fun genre mm. and the more it's not easy but it's the pattern of it is very clear so i started with who did it and then the how and then the why and then I work backwards mm-hmm. to add in as much obfuscation, as many red herrings, as many shady characters as I could to try to misdirect the reader while making sure that they could work it Play out. Play fair. If they were mm. alert. Yeah, playing fair, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, with romance, it's so different. You're, you're starting with two people who are clearly going to get together at some point. There isn't a lot yeah. of mystery there, but then it's how you put your roadblocks in place so that they can't get together until the end, yeah. which actually leads frequently, as a writer to a moment in the midsection where you've set everyone up, but you're left trying to create some kind of motion forwards yeah. while not actually allowing them to get together. It's a really, yeah. really challenging genre to write yeah. in. Well, they get together um, and they go apart again and then they get together properly at the end. Yes. I mean, there are, there are yeah. variants of that, aren't there? there? Are. But, uh, but ultimately it's the same, it's, it's you know, it's Pride and Prejudice is, is kind of like the basis for nearly every romantic uh, story. That it, it, you know, yeah. but, but also you can put more humour, oddly, yeah. in the crime, I think. I found it hugely liberating writing crime. I knew that my reader jokes wouldn't be edited out. Yeah. Um, certainly with my romance books, I've, I naturally write uh, with a lot of humour. Mm. Quite often that was reined in or paired yeah. back at editing stage because it yeah. was too much or it was too, yeah. not rude, but, you know too close to the bone sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas crime there's definitely a real joy to be had particularly cozy crime you can yeah. put in a lot more humor a lot more comedy situations i have ludicrous situations <laughs> in this book i have them all in a marina at midnight you know like just chasing a killer so yeah. there's a real fun to that there's a real joy to that and i i find it weird my husband certainly finds it odd that i'm much more cheerful now that i'm writing mm. crime <laughs> i come out and i'm like oh just a really good scene and this yeah. happened and that happened and i'm buzzing yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the the crime yeah. writers are much clubbier and happy and They're friendly. I'm much. told. I really much. I keep trying yeah. to join them, but I'm not <laughs> as good as you. I keep trying. But the one thing I think I can see that's in common with your characters is 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 very much the the texture of their daily lives is so recognisable. They are real rounded characters. Um, I think you can allow yourself to have more protagonists because of the misdirection in crime. So, but you have to really concentrate, don't you, on in a romance on your main person. Yes. But they all, um, I think, they become their true selves by the end. That yes, they're on a journey to discover what they've all, always been, in mm-hmm. a way. That it's not like there's this great revelation. They are decent, yes, solid people, apart from people who aren't, obviously. But I just want to read a tiny, talking about the texture and so on, and demonstrate the humour. Um, it's a tiny, tiny extract. So, And it's about Cleo and the wonderful relationship she has with her daughter, her grown-up, really, daughter, teenage, uh, Nina. And is it a spoiler to say that Cleo um, is imprisoned at 
a point in the book. Well, she is prime suspect, so she's taken in for questioning. Okay, taken okay. in for questioning. Yeah. So she, <laughs> she has to give up some of her personal belongings when she's taking in. Um, Cleo rubbed her exhausted eyes. I'm sorry, it's just, I must have blanked a lot of it out. Come on, Cleo, for Nina. She thought of her daughter's face glazed in tears back at the caravan, of the tiny clay handprints in a frame on her living room wall, of the thumbprint on the silver necklace that had been around Cleo's neck until it was taken away from her when she had arrived. Now it was in a plastic evidence bag, together with her rings, her earrings, her clothes, her shoes and a packet of Dulcolax she wished she had disposed of beforehand. So that, for me, absolutely epitomises where you go, oh, yes, it's clichéd, it's poignant, you know, etc. Dull collapse. <laughs> we totally get it. Because, Tim, you won't know this, but um, women suffer a lot with constipation and so on, both hormonally and because we're wedded to our own privacy and our own lose and we're not as good at going in public places and so on as men are. Right. There, there's a little addition. Thank you for that, Susie. <laughs> it's classy chat on this. <laughs> <laughs> there is no depth to which I won't come. Um, but what about you, Tim? So that was um, an special thing that I love, the humour. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. And I, I think that um, uh, humour is really important for me when I'm reading a book. Mm. Uh, I think a book without humour is, is, is missing a lot. Mm. And um, and that's certainly the case with, with this, that... that there's, there's lots going on, and I like the journeys of all the people as well. Um, so the um, question I, I'm interested in is, is why you decided to turn to crime. There's a really <laughs> short were. answer there, and there's a really long one. I'll give you a medium version. Okay. Yeah. The short version is genuinely midlife insomnia. I was always awake, 3am, right. always awake, like for right. about two years. Oh, um, Katie. And, uh, and I would lie there, and my husband would be lying next to me, sweetly sleeping. And I'd be know that it, I was then up forever from, from then, from 3am onwards. And I just, you know, felt a bit stabby and a bit murdery at that point. My husband is still alive. He's a lovely man. I'm just going to say that. But that's when the idea came. I just thought, you know what, what if someone did kill their husband? Mm-hmm. Or like thought about it and then they turned up. And then I got the first line pretty much straight away. And then I thought, I'll just explore this a bit, see where it goes and whatever. And then... I just had to write it. It was so joyful. And I know that sounds strange about a murderous book, but it was just the joy of it completely led me to going, I'm not going to write romance anymore. I'm going to gamble, aged halfway to 90. I'm going to gamble. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change everything up. And I took, you know, effectively a year out to write it. Then I got a new agent, a new publishing deal. I went for it. I just, I just ripped up everything aside again. And I now have such joy in what I do. I'm writing the second one at the moment. Um, And there's a third one um, under contract as well. And it's just pure joy. Crime. I love the puzzliness of it as well. Yeah. I've always loved puzzles. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it fits really well with that. And I love the energy to the plot. Like I said earlier, there's a natural Mm. drive. Who did it? Mm. Why? How? Mm. Um, It's joyful. And and this is, uh, as Susie was alluding to earlier, it's the... Going to be the first part of the, of a of a series. Series, yeah. And because um, you set it up nicely as, as at the, at the yes, end, I won't say what what happens again. But uh, and um, it strikes me that it's kind of it's sort of it's sort of halfway in some ways between um, sort of Richard Osman style mm. clubbishness of the of the of the of the uh, the bad girls, mm-hmm. and um, at the same time, 
I can see how it might go down more down the um, J.K. Rowling, um, so her alter ego. Um, oh, Cormoran Strike. Robert Strike. Cormoran, the, the Robert Galbraith books, yeah. the mm. Cormoran Strike. And, yeah, I love those books. In, in the sense of, of that's where you might be going down towards, you know, with, but with a more of a tongue-in-cheek than she yes. does. As long as they won't get as weighty. As hers. No. They are adorable <laughs> listen those, aren't they? 35 hours. Um, yes, yeah. I think it's, it's kind of, it's going to be a mix of Osman and more, that, you know, it is, my publisher thinks it's a mix between the classic romantic fiction, women's mm. fiction, as they call it, much mm. like the, that phrase, and crime fiction. Right. It's going to, you know, that as you say, each character has a journey that mm. doesn't change. Each book, each character has a journey yeah. that of the main trio. Um, there's a lot to come. There's a lot of, you know, Amber's from a, foster care background there's mm. a lot to explore oh, yeah absolutely Jeannie yeah. um, is she going to marry Tan is she not the next one's set on her hen weekend right oh um, and Cleo is Cleo going to get with we won't say again we won't no, say again, we won't, so we'll just, spoiler alert stop there, you yeah. there that, um, yeah. but obviously that, that I can see that coming down the, down the track but then it's not the most reliable of people no she doesn't <laughs> so, do much in so, she's um, a good so, she's quite impulsive is our Cleo good and I like the fact that she's a she's a she's an Amdram queen as well I yeah there's actually fun. a further book well because the she's an actress and yeah. you know no I think it's all there it's and 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 the huge readership is female yes um but there's so much for men to enjoy in it as well I think it's yeah. um no, honestly, I really enjoyed it. Did you think of changing your name for these? I did, actually, but my publisher did not want me to. Okay, that's um, interesting. I was going to do it under pseudonym, um, but they were insistent that I should not. I'd had a lot of readers in the past, and they thought a lot of those readers would come with me. Right, yeah. And sure I think they, they should. I'm yeah. sure they will, actually, because, it, it, as you say, it's, it's, as Susie was saying earlier, I think, you know, it's the, the style hasn't, in some ways, doesn't hasn't really changed. Mm. And, um, yeah. But just the... the, the the letting yourself <coughs> make more jokes has. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 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 more jokes. That's great. Yeah. The emotional content and the recognition, yeah. I think, is really yeah. good. Casey, that was Thank brilliant. You. Thank you so much Thank for, for popping me in on. again. Thank you. So my excerpt this month is from Shirley Ballas, Murder on the Dance Floor. Um, the main protagonist, Jack, is dancing with his Belarusian partner, who he doesn't know very well. And they've done the waltz and the foxtrot, I think, very well. And now this is the tango and she's behaving um, strangely. Triple barrida, sloppy. Ocho atras, eva eventura, clingy. Ocho atras unacceptable. She knew better than to put her full weight onto his dodgy knee. In fact, she knew better than to put her full weight on him at all. And still they danced. Hip work, toes, extensions, nothing was on point the way it had been in rehearsals. Had she disappeared earlier to sling back some of that Belarusian fire water she kept in her tote? She'd been gone ten, maybe fifteen minutes, long enough to throw back a few shots to fight the nerves. He smelt her breath, almost praying for an explanation. Cigarettes, definitely. And vodka? Surely not. This was her first run-up to the Blackpool Ballroom Bonanza in the arms of a world champion. Perhaps he'd misjudged her ability not to crumple under pressure. She stumbled. Feet, Oxana. He glanced at the nearest judge. 
Her attention was on a relatively unknown Argentinian couple. Dark-haired and black-eyed, she was the daughter of a pharmaceuticals billionaire. And so it goes on with more and more embarrassment. Clearly, as we, the reader, know, something is very wrong with her. This wasn't dance, it was humiliation. Fear seized him with a fresh, painful grip. He'd never, ever been disqualified in a first round, not even as a seven-year-old with little beyond two front eye-teeth to his name. Get it together. When they were through, her name would never cross his lips again. She leant into him for the Volcada Basica, the first moment in the dance in which he would properly take her weight. Jesus wept. She slurred a few more consonants. Kink, keck, ketamine, blinkinek. What the hell had possessed the woman to take horse tranquilizers before a competition? Cinderella, not Shrek, he hissed, desperate now. Her expression looked both surprised and slumped, if such a thing were possible. Her chest pressed against his. The strain of effort to pull in oxygen transferred through to him like a fish gasping its last few pointless breaths. And then, instead of rising and floating through a swift set of dazzling turns designed to blind the judges to the rest of the competition, she slid down the length of his body to the floor, which did, to be fair, catch their attention. Jack knew his instinct should be to drop down and check on her, ascertain whether her motionless body was an extreme form of protest or a genuine cry for help. Instead, he felt that version of himself rise up above his body just in time to see the real version nudge her with his toe. Dancers whirled around them, and she just lay there, her body perfectly still. A deflated Cinderella sprawled in a pool of scarlet satin nothing to protect her from the chill rising from the polished hardwood floor as the music played on. Eventually, one by one, the dancers came to a standstill. The music petered out. The drummer held his sticks aloft of his snares. An ungainly pair wearing reflective clothing thudded onto the floor in heavy-soled boots. One turned Oxana over, checked her mouth for obstructions. The other asked for, then called, her name. Oxana? Oxana, can you hear me, Oxana? They were asking Jack questions, but he had no answers. There were sternal rubs, fingers wrapped together to begin compressions while someone else ran for the defibrillator. How had this happened? Why had this happened? Jack looked up and found himself staring directly into Lily Richmond's eyes. She looked immortal, all-knowing. An icy chill swept the length of him as her eyes bore through his ultra-soft, semi-transparent two-way stretch crepe shirt straight through to the shadowy flickers of guilt he'd carried in his heart for years, exposed at last. Maybe he was hallucinating, superimposing meaning on Lily's intense expression, but something told him that after years of dodging the bullet, his past had finally caught up with him. His crimes against the true structure of competitive ballroom dance couldn't go unpunished, especially now that Oxana, poor soul, had paid the cruelest price. And yet he ran. He ran as fast as he could, the strains of that ridiculous song chasing him from the ballroom, down the corridors, past the dressing rooms, waiting rooms, cafes and bars, until finally, finally, an exit presented itself. An alley. Air. Freedom. He slumped to the ground, unable to process what was happening. He pressed the balls of his hands to his eyes, trying to concentrate on slow, steady breaths. 
he remembered his first proper partner, the one with whom he'd won the Open to the World Amateur Under-21 Ballroom and Latin Championships three years running, their shared love of dance and their more exquisite private love for one another. The memories surged through him as if a dam had, after years of straining, burst through. And that's when Jack finally allowed himself access to the name of the song that had not only played tonight, but had played the night he and his partner had danced as he pulled the plug on what could have been the most incredible partnership of his life. I just died in your arms tonight. So, Tim, what have you got to look forward to? Well, there's um, books that have just recently recently come out. There's three books I wanted to talk about. First one is a book by a chap called Marcus de Sotoy, who's a mathematician, and it's called Around the World in 80 Games. And what he's done is he's looked at some of the key games that we all play, like Monopoly or Connect Four or, or more subtle, complex games, and looks at the maths behind them. So what is... What... Oh, so not sports games, but... Sort no. Of... Now these are these are board games and all sorts of all sorts of different games, and um, like you know how rock paper scissors you need to if you use pi it'll help you work out the the best answer. What's Gosh. the best property in Monopoly or or where should you move first in a game of Connect Four? Um, these things are all quite it's quite entertaining and but it's quite it's quite a mathsy book. But I think if you like if you like games and you like maths then you might really enjoy this book. So that's the first one I wanted to mention. Uh, second one is, is How They Broke Britain by James O'Brien now some of you may know him he, he does an LBC show um, and he's, he is of the kind of centre left I suppose um, but he's a journalist he's very, he's very good with words and um, he, talks very, he talks very eloquently and it's called How They Broke Britain and it's about the, the, what he sees as the people that have brought us to this more divided country that we live in now uh than it was and um so that's that's the book and it it ranges from people like you know obvious people like rupert murdoch and boris johnson but it also has some interesting other people in there um people that you you, people are less familiar with like uh um i'm just gonna get get you the the person i'm thinking matthew elliott Um, who he exactly um and uh but also he includes Jeremy Corbyn in that list, so it's kind of it's not it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not all the it's sort of bogeymen of the bogeymen of the right, not the regular um, suspects. But so it's an interesting read, and he 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 writes very entailingly. So it's uh, quite a thick book. Well, it's so not there's well, lots of culprits. Actually, it's or? not it's not that many. There, you know, has been a Nigel Farage is in there, as you might expect. Right. Okay. Um, and, oh, uh, so each section Cummings, is a different person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's Liz so Truss. you can dip in. You don't have to read it cover Absolutely. to cover. You can, yeah, you that's can, you good. Can, can select your select your 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 hate figure at, at uh, your at, photograph at, on the dartboard. Exactly, case photograph on the dartboard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure they're all quite as bad as Gary, but no, maybe they are. That's another question. <laughs> Who yeah. could be? Um, and it, the third book I wanted to mention is is the Year of the Locust by Terry Hayes. Now, Terry Hayes is not one of those household names, but he did I Am Pilgrim, which was possibly oh, the huge. best-selling thriller of, of six, seven years ago. Um, and uh, he, it was his first, first novel, uh, and as such was, was quite surprised how, quite how successful it was. It was a big, thick, chunky, chunky thriller. Um, and, um, but in fact, he'd written screenplays for lots of films that we've heard of before, like Mad Max and 
and uh, he he was actually hugely successful as a screenwriter, um, and that's why I suppose that uh, you know he he'd honed his craft on Do that dialogue um, yeah. before before he came to. And write Iron a novel. Pilgrim is a great title. Yes, I mean it's a it's a great big hefty book, and it's got actually probably enough material for about three or four thrillers in there, but he he sort of bundled them all together. So I think he used a lot of his good ideas in that, oh. um, and that's why he had to wait a few years before writing the next one. But that and the fact that he was very busy writing his probably more lucrative screenwriting career. Yeah. Um, but this one, anyways, it's got a it's got a, a CIA operative at the at the heart of the book. It's written in the sort of first person, and it's about six hundred pages long. But I'm really looking forward to reading it. Um, because he does, he does, he does do good thrillers. The so, Year of the Locust isn't so memorable as a title, is it? It's not quite so snappy, no. but um, but I think it, it will. Uh, I'm sure it will do really well. Yeah, good, lovely. Well, I certainly look forward to the thriller. I'm not so sure about the others, um, but that's it, really. Once the puppy is. Um, more trained i won't have it's back to your reading again back to my reading again Good. instead of having to do something every hour so you can catch us on all the normal places yes on uh, spotify and uh, apple the apple store and all those things um look, look for talking books and shine radio excellent tim thanks very much and we're up in your sunny office actually recording this it's rather lovely fantastic thanks Susie. bye now Get ready for the big Christmas switch on with Shine Radio. It's Joff and Claire, live in the square as the lights go on across the town. And it's all happening on Friday the 24th of November. Illuminating Claire. Joff Lacey and Claire Venice host the light switch on live in the square. We'll have live music, loads of fun. And the countdown to the moment the mayor throws the switch to light up Petersfield. Join Joff and Claire live in the square. See you on Friday the 24th of November. Petersfield's Shine Radio. Shine Radio.